Welcome to the Strategy Sprints podcast. I'm your host, Simon Severino, and my guest today started his career in technology with companies like Oracle and IBM, but realized at the end of the day, it was the human factor that determined the success of any enterprise. In 2004, he founded Anecdote, a firm that helps leaders and sellers find and tell effective oral business stories. He works with global 1,000 companies such as Shell, Danone, Microsoft, Tesco, Allianz, and Bayer all around the world. Anecdote licenses its business storytelling programs to companies that are delivered in 12 languages in over 22 countries. Welcome, everybody. Sean Callahan. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's so good to cool. see you, Simon. Yeah, welcome. And uh, tell us, what are you currently creating? Well, the thing is sort of keeping me busy at the moment. I'm helping a, a large, a sort of a global pharmaceutical business with their strategy story. And, and a strategy story for us is just simply a, a story that explains why the strategic choices were made, right? And, and the actual story structure is super simple, uh, but that's not where the the difficulty arises. The difficulty arises actually getting getting your executives on the same page. You must you must have heard that one before. Hey, Simon. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, when you start uh, creating a story with many people, so tell us how do you align them without losing your nerves and time? Uh, well, the, the way I do it, look, our strategy story structure is simply: in the past, it was like this, and then something happened. And so that's why you're doing these things so the future can be like that. And I actually like to get them into little little groups and it's almost like dueling stories. They have to see who, who can come up with the best and most satisfying version. And they love it. It's, it's really good. It doesn't require any post-it notes. It doesn't require any, you know, fancy flip charts or anything like that. And I think they're kind of sick of all those overly facilitated sessions. So uh, the executives get into it pretty robustly, I would say. Uh, and, and the nice thing is, is as they're describing, you know, their story, um, you can see the other groups sort of going, oh, okay, I, I didn't realise that we did it for that reason. And, you know, and, and it turns into a conversation, right? And that's, that's the key thing. I'm picturing them being outside and having a campfire in the middle because right now you shouldn't sit in, <laughs> right? And it's much better to tell stories around the fire. Have you tried that? I have. I'm not a real big fan of it. I I, I try to keep away from anything that's too cliche and, and Hollywood-like. More my stories are the sort of stories that people actually tell in organisations and they're kind of boring right? They're not as fancy as something you would craft for, a, uh, you know, a, the latest screenplay in, in Hollywood. So, yeah, I, I be, of course, I've been doing them on Zoom lately. That's that's the uh, the latest uh, technology for this sort of thing or you know, whatever video sort of conferencing technology you want to use, but works just as well on Zoom as it does face-to-face, -face, actually, which I was a bit surprised about. Beautiful. And what have you brought as a CEO tip? What can you share that others can learn and practice? Look, because I get to see lots and lots of strategies, uh, the theme that I see over and over again is people coming up with strategies that don't have real choices, 
Like, so for example, they will uh, say, okay, we're going to do four things. We're going to focus on our people. We're going to uh, provide digital transformation, you know, the sort of typical four things that you would see in an organization. Uh, but the problem with it is that I, I sort of say to them, you got to compare what you're suggesting, your bold move needs to have a real opposite. And I call, I call this the Costanza maneuver. Uh, the Costanza, named after George Costanza from Seinfeld. And there was an episode in Seinfeld where George decides to do everything uh, the opposite that he would normally do it. And of course, his life turns out really well when he does the opposite. But what I mean by the opposite is, say, for example, if they say one of their choices is, oh, we're going to focus on our people, I say to them, so you were really considering uh, a choice of not focusing on your people. So that was a choice. You were going, we're going to focus on our people or we're not going to. And they go, of course not. We, we wouldn't think that. And I said, well, that's not a choice. You're not making a choice there. And the best stories are ones where they make real choices and the best strategies are the ones that they make real choices. So that would, that would be my tip for CEOs. Make real choices, use the Costanza maneuver and you will get a strategy. And by the way, this is not me just saying it. I, I learned this from uh, the famous uh, strategy uh, consultant slash academic Richard Rommelt. I don't know if you've come across Richard Rommelt's work. But he wrote a strategy, beautiful book called strategy. Good Good strategy, Bad yeah. Strategy. Yeah, we know it well, right? So, yeah. so same sort of idea. Both sides need to be equally positive, like price and quality. Not just You cannot just say we are going to serve our community, obviously, but what's the opposite? So one opposite could be we go for quality over price. Like whenever right. we can deliver quality, or price, we will deliver quality and the price will go up. So um, quality over price, would that be? Yeah, that's right. That's That would be a contrast. Uh, another one would be, you know, we're going to outsource uh, to Asia or we're going to keep that capability in-house, right? Um, so you're making real choices and it sort of makes your strategy a lot more, um, I guess, bold, right? And this is what uh, executives are looking for, especially CEOs. They want bold moves. You don't make these big changes that you need to make with, you know, tepid, uh, uns uh, undifferentiated moves, right? So you have to make these very nice choices. book for people who want to explore strategy. And uh, Richard Rumbold, good strategy, bad strategy, really good book. It's not as simple as it sounds from the title. It's a good book. And uh, yeah. I'm curious who you give the award to. You can pick one person. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, the, the one that I would pick, you know, in terms of making some amazing moves at the moment, uh, he's been doing it for a long time, actually, and he's a Chinese businessman. His name's Zhang Rumin, and he's the CEO of a company called Haya. And Haya is a large white goods appliance uh, company, but he's doing some amazing things on organizational structure. He has taken 80,000 people and broken them down into 15-person units, and each 15-person unit has got the sort of, it can, has to interact with a whole bunch of other 15-person units to create an ecosystem in order to create a product. And as a result of that, they only have three layers 
of hierarchy in their business for 80,000 people. Uh, he, he wanted to structure a business to manage a world that was inf so highly influenced by, you know, the internet by structuring his business like the internet. And I think this is wild. And it's bringing in all sorts of uh, real human-centred human approaches where, you know, people are acting like entrepreneurs. They're, um, you know, sort of looking after their people at that sort of real core level. I think he's doing some amazing work. I, I learned about it uh, in um, Gary Hamill's new book called Humanocracy. I don't know if you've come across humanocracy, but it's worth a read. And and Hayer is one of the key case studies he uses in that book. Mm, beautiful. I want to know the three books that shaped you most, that were most influential. But first, one word from the sponsors. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. What are the three books? Yeah, this was, it, was a, it was a tough one, right? You can sort of see from my bookshelves, I have a lot of books. Um, and the three that I was thinking of that have had a big impact on me, um, and I've already mentioned one of them, right? And that is Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, Richard Rummelt's book. When I read that, when it came out back in 2011, I think, um, I, I, the connection to story was really obvious for me. He more or less said, "If you don't have a story, if you don't have a story, you don't have a strategy." And and as soon as I sort of saw that he really understood that connection, I knew this was a, an important book for the work that we do in strategy stories. Another book that I've, I've known for a long time, actually, I think it was published in the nineteen seventies, is called A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander. And this is where the concept of object-oriented computing came from, uh, was inspired by, and this idea of developing patterns. And he was an architect, and he, he was looking at, um, like, what were the patterns in buildings that we love? And, you know, and how do we incorporate, the, incorporate those into buildings? Like, for example, we love a trellised walk, right? For some reason, humans just like walking through a trellis, especially with its you know, with the vines growing over it. There's just something that we love about that. And he, he goes through and he names, I don't know, hundreds of different uh, architectural patterns that just work for humans. And, and, and so there's lots of analogies between that and what you can do with, we use story patterns, for example, in our work. Uh, so we work with different story patterns. And the last one is sort of a, a productivity one. I, I have been for a long time a bit of a... Um, I don't know, which is say a follower, and, and I apply the ideas of getting things done, uh, David Allen's uh, famous book. Um, though, though I went and saw, I met David Allen for the first time uh, in Amsterdam last year. Uh, yeah, it was last year. Department. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and... and um, and you know how you know you put someone up on a pedestal and you're sort of all excited about it, but it was it was a very uh, awkward uh, sort of interaction I had with him, and I thought, oh, you should never meet your heroes. I think that's the, <laughs> the conclusion. That's the conclusion I walked away from uh, in that interaction. But anyway, they're my three books. So He's the only guest who was three times on the show, and uh, we spent a day with him in Amsterdam in his apartment because I wanted to yeah. see how he organizes his life and his computer and his tasks. And yeah, what right. 
we we filmed with him what's is what's on his calendar and his desk etc um yep. it was amazing oh i bet it would i would have loved to have done that so yeah well done so thank you for the three books and now tell tell us a little bit more about what you see out there so firms and how they convey their story what should they really consider during these times well i mean i think a lot of organizations are realizing that um you know you got to be clear and you got to be concise but that's just clear and concise is not good enough right people have to feel it people have to feel some emotion attached to it uh, if you're taking people in a new direction which is a little unknown you know, they really have to uh, get some sense of that. We did a, a, a strategy story for a big insurance company and uh, it was about 12 months into the project. So they got into the implementation and, and, and rolled this strategy out throughout their uh, organisation. And uh, I rang the head of comms and uh, their colleagues and on the teleconference, and these are very serious people, you know, insurance company people, don't don't laugh too much. But when I had them on the I got on the phone, they were all giggling, and I thought, oh, why are they giggling? You know, why are they laughing? And it turned out they just got their employee engagement survey results back, and they had increased the engagement in that company by a percentage that they'd never seen before, right? And they put it down to the fact that they, for the first time, they started to get their whole organisation aligned. Um, because of the strategy story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's the, that's the sort of thing. That's when I get excited. When you see those sort of things, you think, okay, you know, real real change is actually happening in these organisations. Uh, so anyway, that's that's sort of the, the move we're seeing for more and more companies. That's still a tiny percentage that do it, right? And thinking of, of the people who are listening right now who run small and medium businesses, yeah. so you, you're not talking the vision their long-term vision. You are not talking the mission. You are talking something specific. How how yeah. how should they approach it? What's what's usually missing and how, how should they do it? Yeah, well I think the, the, the key things that, that's missing is that you know the the you know the, the executives, the people who run the run the company um, have they come up with their new direction, their choices that they're making, their strategic choices? But as soon as they start to communicate them, the first question that people have in their mind is, why? Why are we doing that? Right? And if you don't give them a good answer, and of course Simon Sinek has made a whole career out of this, if you don't answer the why question, you have people going off in all different directions. So for uh, people running those smaller businesses, they need to just use a simple story structure. And if, if you go to my book, uh, Putting Stories to Work, you'll sort of see it written there. Uh, it just it simply goes, what were we like in the past, right? Then what was the thing that changed? Or might have been two or three things that changed. You know, competitor came in, prices fell, regulator um, changed the landscape. Uh, you know, it could be a myriad of things, right? New technologies came in. Then for those reasons, that's why we're doing these strategic choices. And when people hear that, they should be just nodding their heads going, oh, I see. Yeah, of course, that's why we're doing it. And then, of course, you've got to give them a picture of the future, like what's going to happen when this all works well. And and I have two little strategies there. I say either use 
examples that are already happening. So you, usually in an organization, the strategies or the, the future is already there, right? It's already happening. So you tell those little stories and then you finish it by saying, God, imagine if we could do that everywhere, right? Or secondly, if you don't have any of those examples, you start off by simply saying, so imagine this, and then you give a scenario of what it's going to be like in the future. Those two little uh, strategies are great for populating future stories. Um, and then you just get people to tell it off the top of their head in their own words, uh, not using scripts, not using PowerPoint decks or anything like that. Um, and you'll be amazed at the uh, the impact it has on your people. They want to hear what the leaders have, have got to say, you see. Beautiful. Do you have some examples of people who, who got it right and they got the story in a way that people really can can connect with? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we've done pharmaceutical companies seem to be very interested in this. We've done a number of uh, different pharmaceutical companies, and I remember um, uh, working with a, a head. It wasn't actually the head of the whole pharmaceutical company, but it was an area called the medical area, which are the guys who do all of the essentially uh, approval of the uh, of the medicines as they go through. So they're very busy at the moment with vaccines, right? That would be keeping them very busy. Um, but the uh, in this case, uh, a German lady, very straight down the line, um, no-nonsense kind of person, um, she got her team. And I actually went to Sri Lanka uh, to work with her team and... Uh, She was, she was head of all of Asia Pacific, and it was amazing. She was able to, that group, that executive group of about eight people were able to tell the story of what, how they grew that business from a, a handful of people to many thousands of people uh, over like a six-year period, and, uh, and then those strategic choices, and it really just started to align that, you know, that larger group into not only made them proud of what they'd done and, you know, the achievement they made, but also set them in a clear direction as to what they were going to do next. I mean, she was so excited by that. We ended up, she got promoted to uh, being head of uh, all of Europe and uh, North Africa. And we did the same thing again over there, but this time in Vienna. And um, and so, you know, it was it was a repeatable pattern for her to, to, to make this work. Yeah. Beautiful. What did you recently change your mind about? Yeah, I was actually really scratching my, my head about this. and um, But it occurred to me, one of the things I have changed my mind about, and so I've sort of flip-flopped, if you like. So um, for a long time, I've, I've done a lot of uh, work in the area of uh, diversity and inclusion, right? And, and it's usually around collecting stories in organizations to help them understand their own diversity and inclusion behaviors. Uh, and uh, as I was working with different companies, there was a real, um, I guess, argument that was made around, especially from a lot of senior executives, that inclusion was more important than diversity, right? That, and one, one executive put it by saying um, that uh, diversity is when you count the people and inclusion is when people feel counted. And I thought, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that could make a lot of sense. But but I have swung back the other way now. I'm now a true believer, if you like, of the importance of diversity because 
It's those multiple perspectives that give you that diversity of thought, right? And, and, and you know, those different perspectives that really give the opportunity for innovation. And, and now I've seen plenty of stories where diversity has made, you know, a phenomenal difference to organisations. Um, and and, and just any relatively small to big organisation can, uh, can do it, right? You just have to be mindful of it. This is something that many are trying to do right now because everybody knows here it's the right thing to do. And then some yeah. obstacles come up. Um, what, what are you seeing out there that can help overcome these, these obstacles? Well, you know, when you're working with just about any organisation, there's a very hard-headed numbers focus, can, you know, in organisations. And they want to know what's the real value of diversity, right? And so you have to tell stories where diversity has made a difference. So, for example, we had one example where we were working with a big professional services firm and uh, they were the incumbent for this particular piece of work, multi-million dollar piece of work, and the head of the client came to the head partner and said, look, we like your work and everything, but for this new pitch you're doing, I have to say there's not much there that's innovative. Right, and we're a little bit disappointed. If you want to win this, you're going to have to step it up. And he looked at his team, and it was nearly all the same people. It was like thirty-year-old uh, white blokes, essentially. Um, and he thought, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" And because he is a global company, so he ended up pulling people from all over the, the globe for a new pitch team, and they absolutely won the work, made a big difference. The customers loved it. And by telling that story in that organisation, more senior partners started to do that. They started to draw on the diversity that they actually already had in the business, right? And then this, this started a snowball of, of change that occurred in their, their, their firm. So I think that's what we've got to find. You've got to find those examples. Absolutely. So sometimes it's just checking our patterns of staffing and of, of putting projects together. And we have maybe much more diversity then, then we use, then we actually leverage around us if we just can put them to work. Yeah, well, that's so true. Absolutely. For not being in the way of the work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sean, where can people find you? Where can they read about you? Well, I mean, our website's the best place to find us. That's just anecdote.com. Um, you can also check out my book, Putting Stories to Work. So th that's pretty much got many of the things that, uh, you know, that we do is, is in that book. But that said, that book is primarily about storytelling, right? But I'm on, a, I'm on a campaign at the moment to teach people that story work is more than just storytelling. Uh, we talk about story listening and story triggering and the myriad of places in which stories can be used in an organisation. Actually, we've written a paper uh, just called Corporate Storytelling, and it lists, I think, 14 different areas in which a business can apply story-based techniques. I think if you just Googled uh, Corporate Storytelling and Anecdote, you would find that paper. Um, and uh, have a look, because I think it will just get people thinking, you know, whether it's around branding or leadership development or it's around, um, you know, getting insight or innovation. I mean, there's so many different places where story can play out and 
and and I think we're just touching. We're just it's the tip of the iceberg at the moment in terms of how we're using story in business. Absolutely. Who should be my next guest? Well, I was I actually th thought you should go for Richard Rummel. I mean, if I know he's an emeritus professor at the moment at, at uh, in Los Angeles, UCLA, I think. Um, so you know, maybe he's got some spare time on his hand. He would be a great person to have. Uh, he's a, by the way, if his book is any um, indication of it, he seems like he's a a really good storyteller. So uh, I get him on on the on the show. Thank you so much, Sean, for being here, sharing your knowledge and your journey with our community. And please come back Thank soon. You. Oh, I'd love to anytime. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.